I mean, there's a lot of significant things going on, even just in our own household in the last two or three weeks. There's been a number of significant events. Our little boy, Elijah, turned 10 uh, at the at last month. And, and he's just a, it's just so funny watching him at the minute. He's just... He is uh, getting into clothes and getting into uh, talking about girls but pretending he doesn't like them, but we know he does. And there's just, there's just this change. He's asking us questions, and you're like, where did you hear that word? Um, I'm like, go talk to your mother about that. No, um, like, like he's asking us some, like, what certain words mean that I'm not even completely sure what they mean, but I know they're not good. Um, do you know what I mean? Because he's hearing them in school. Um, we had our wedding anniversary then last week, and then this weekend, today is our fifth anniversary here in Hope. Uh, five years ago, I think it was the 1st of October, we had our first Sunday service here in Hope. And so uh, uh, there was a photograph, some of you might have saw it on Facebook yesterday, of us leaving Port Stewart. Um, that was our removal van. With, look at him there. He was five there. And uh, I always say we had a sea view. If you really squint, you can see the sea at the left-hand side there. We had a house with a sea view. Um, that was the, some of you have heard me tell the story about that miracle house where the woman kept saying, you can only have it for a year. And I said, we only need it for six months. And this went back and forth for hours. And I said, just phone the guy. And she says, he'll give it to you for six months. That was that house. And, uh, and so uh, we have been here five years today. And that removal van had all of our earthly possessions in it. At, at that point, I think in the previous five years, we had moved six times or something like that. And every time you move house, uh, some of you are moving, some of you have moved recently, you do a call, don't you? You, you, you do the declutter and you go through and you discover stuff, whether it's in the garage or in cupboards or the attic or wherever it is. And you're thinking, that has been there for so long. And the question is, should I stay or should I go? Should it stay or should I go? And, and, and there's sometimes a bit of tension in the house because one of you thinks, throw it out. You know, you haven't worn that since 1972. Uh, and, uh, and the other one says, but 70s is coming back into fashion. And, and there's this tension of, do we keep it? Do we dump it? Some people are hoarders. Some people hold on to stuff. Some people are, would just love to get rid of everything. And, uh, and so we went through that uh, so many times over those uh, number of years. Because every time we moved house, we had a bit of a, a cull. And here we are five years later. And we're not going anywhere. But we feel the need to do a call again. We kind of, you know, we kind of feel the need that since we're not moving, we still want to do the call. And so we have got a little bit obsessed over the last week or so. I mean, to the point, I, 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 I get a little bit obsessive about things. And so I've ordered a skip, um, like a medium skip, not like a medium skip. Uh, because I, I, I didn't order it a few weeks ago because all the neighbours were throwing their rubbish into it in the middle of the night. Um, but, but we're getting a skip because we've all stuff, even old sofas that we wanted, the, the dog, is, and, uh, uh, and we want to just redo some things. And, uh, and we have a skip coming, and there's something incredibly satisfying. Like, actually, I'm really excited. Isn't that sad? I'm excited about a skip coming. I mean, literally, if it's not nailed down, it'll go into the skip this week. Um, but, but we've accumulated a lot of stuff, you know, and, and, and a lot of it now is just clutter. There's clothes that don't fit or they're not in fashion. There's Elijah's toys, you know. A five-year-old isn't into the same thing as a 10-year-old. Although it, it's, it's don't tell him we told you this, okay? This is between us. Even though we were cleaning out his room this week, um, he wanted to keep all his soft toys, all his teddy bears. I know. I know. 
Uh, they're going into the skip this week um, when he's at school. Um, you know, there's just stuff that you just are like, I can't bear this anymore. I can't stand the sight of this. And so uh, there's a sense where you're creating space for the new, but I also felt God say this, you're just creating space and don't fill it again. You know, sometimes when we're creating space, we're creating space for the new. We're clearing out our wardrobe so we can buy new clothes. But actually, I think this is a season where God has said, actually throw some stuff out, but just leave the space for now. Don't rush to replace. Don't feel the need to actually fill the emptiness. Don't feel the need to, to, to go out and buy more stuff or accumulate more stuff. Just create some space because we're great at accumulating and collecting and buying and adding but we're not so good at throwing out and letting go because we think you know what if I need it in the future anybody have a husband or wife who says that when you're about I might need that one then you're like you have not used that since 1934 you know um there but um you know what if I what if I want to wear it again what if it comes back into fashion we get attached we get sentimental we feel like it's waste we spent money on it and now we're throwing it out my as a general rule if I haven't used it in the last year and I'm not likely to use it in the next six months it's gone Okay, it's gone. And, and that's just kind of a, a, a rule I have. And I said to Becky the other day, we were walking around the next, I said, this kind of feels prophetic. And don't, please don't read any more into this than it is. But it feels prophetic for us that, that we're stripping away some things that have been part of our past that aren't going to be part of our future. And I think for our church, I would say that. We're a young church. We're seven years old. But I think we're going through a little bit of a stripping right now. We're stripping away some things from our past that were good, that were helpful, or else we wouldn't have had them here in the first place. But there is a stripping away in some senses. But it's to create space. And some of that space will be filled by the new, and some of it won't be filled at all. And that's okay. We're making room for what God wants to do. And it got me thinking about a conversation we had just about a week and a bit ago about how we've changed and how we're, we're still changing. And over the last three years we've all changed. We've all been through so much change. Um, we've gone through this massive transition, this massive shift in our world and COVID, the war, the, the economy and our lives and our families and the church in our relationships, in our spiritual lives, in our nation, in our government, with a new PM. By next week, we could have another new PM. Who knows at this stage in our jobs? How many of you in the last three years have changed jobs? If you have, please put up your hand. Don't just be, yeah. Okay. That, that multiplied the hands by about six when I said that. And I said, how many of you have moved house in the last three years? Put up your hand. There's a lot of movement going on. There's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of uh, transition going on. There's also been a lot of stripping back. Uh, there's been a lot of internal and external change. So many of the things that we used to take for granted have been removed from our lives at different times. How many of you, when you see the bin van the last few weeks, you wanted to go out and hug them? <laughs> it was like the ice cream van when you were a kid. You know, you wanted just to run out and be like, like we've never appreciated our bin man so much. Let's be honest, you know, all our, so those of you who have had your bins collected, we don't like you. Those of us who live in this area, uh, we haven't, for, uh, six weeks was it? Six weeks, six weeks. 
and uh, uh, and so just it was just flies everywhere. It was just rotten. Uh, and so to see the bin man every you're just like waving. And I, I bet you they got a tip this Christmas like they've never had before. Things have been stripped back. Things that we used to take for granted, even travel, you know. Just so much we took for granted has, 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 was removed from us for a while. Or we've let them go. We've realized we didn't need them. There's upheaval, disruption, shaking, shifting, crisis, calamity, and we're still going through it. And there's lots of reasons for the change and the upheaval and the disruption. But I think part of it is this. I think part of it is intentional by God. I think God is stripping us back. I think God is very intentional at the minute in our world about what he's doing. And in what looks like chaos and disorder, I believe that God is incredibly intentional. And in what he's doing in the church, with scandals in the church and leaders falling and all of that, I believe God is incredibly intentional in what he is doing right now. He's dismantling some things that we built that aren't helpful or useful. He's tearing down some structures that used to work but have become obsolete or outdated. He's uh, demolishing and removing some things. There's people in our lives that were central three years ago that aren't as central anymore. There's things we used to love, things we used to get excited about that we're just not passionate about anymore. We're maybe feeling unsettled. It's like we're all waiting for something to happen, but we're not quite sure what it is. And I was saying to Becky just this last week, I think... I think a lot of us know who we're not at the moment. We're just not quite sure who we are. And I'm not going through a midlife crisis. I'm not going to turn up next week in a red sports car. Don't worry. But I actually just said this to Becky last week. I says, I feel at the minute like I'm not completely sure who I am anymore. And there's the core things that are always there. But I feel like I've gone through this last three four years and God has stripped some things back and there's some things emerging but I feel like I'm in this I call it the messy middle I feel like I'm in the messy middle right now some of you know what that's like you kind of know that you're not that and you're not doing that and you don't love that and that's not who you are anymore but you're not completely sure what's on the other side and it's a messy middle and life isn't as neat and as tidy as we'd like it to be. You feel a bit all over the place. You're not quite sure where you fit. You feel like a square peg in a round hole. I was at a, a clergy meeting the other night for the diocese and with all the clergy from down in Dromore. And, and I, I just I feel like a square peg in a round hole. And I don't mean that in any way to dishonor them. I love them. But I used to go to those gatherings and felt very comfortable. And now I feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. Um... But some of you know what that's like in family situations and work situations and in organizations you're involved in. You used to feel really at home and really comfortable there, but now you just feel like a, a bit of a square peg in your trying to think. You, you want to belong, you want to fit, but you're just not quite sure where it is. And the temptation is this, to go back to what we know, to go back to the comfortable and the familiar and the secure. And Becky and I were talking about this even in relation to a church, the church. We were talking about other churches that are doing certain things and the pressure we feel to do the same things. But what we realized was that they're just rehashing the same things that they did in 2019 pre-COVID. There's almost this feeling like we've got to do these things again. And maybe they, they want to do them, maybe it's the right thing. But, but we, we were talking and we were saying, we only want to do what the Spirit is prompting us to do. 
There are so many things that I go, wouldn't that be a great idea? And I get this gut feeling, the Spirit says, don't you dare. John said, or Jesus said this in John 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And if I start things of the flesh, they fail. But if I start things of the Spirit, God blesses them. And I think there's this danger in this messy middle to go back to the comfortable and the familiar and the routine because we crave certainty. Isn't that what happened to Israel when they came out of Egypt? Every time something went wrong, they went, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. You mean the place of slavery? You mean the place that you've been beaten? They mean the place that you've been captive for 400 years? They would rather have certain slavery than uncertain wilderness. Uncertain, messy middle. And there's this temptation in all of us when we're not completely sure who we are or where we're going or where the future's leading to, to get nostalgic or to try and cling on to something from the past because we feel vulnerable, insecure and even a wee bit naked. We, we, we don't like it when we don't know what to do. And so there's this huge temptation to go back to somewhere that we no longer belong. But if we'll just wait, if we'll just have patience, if we'll just trust God and seek to hear his voice and discern where he's leading us in the messy middle, the new will start to take shape. Things will begin to emerge. Doors will open up. New relationships will form. New job opportunities will come. Things will become clear. And I believe God will lead us into better than we have left behind. Because God never downgrades. God didn't take them out of slavery into greater slavery. He took them out of slavery to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. God's desire is that we flourish and grow and thrive. Jesus said, I came that you may have life in all its abundance. When God strips back and moves things from our lives, the Bible says it's for one purpose, to make us more fruitful, to bring increase, to bring out everything he has placed inside us, to position us for greater impact in the world for his kingdom and greater influence around us. That was a long intro to a shorter sermon, I promise you. But uh, we're going to look at John 15 and I'm going to read just five verses and I'm going to share a few thoughts just about that stripping back and what what God might uh, be doing in that and then we'll have communion together. Let me read verses one to five. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The word of God cleanses. Even as you hear the word of God today, it is doing a work in you. It says in Ephesians, you are cleansed through the washing of the word. That's something beautiful. When you, when you read, when you hear, when you meditate in the word of God, it actually does a cleansing, a purifying effect in you. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus really introduces us to three characters or three figures. He says that there's a true vine, and that's him. He says it's the father, he's the gardener. And then he says we are the branches. That's the three people, Jesus, 
the Father and us. And he says that there's only one true vine. He says, I am the true vine, which indicates to me that there's false vines. There's other places that we can try to find life and nourishment and joy and peace. And that's where the world goes to find them. But there's only one true vine. And then he says, we were created to bear fruit. Look at how, how many times this passage talks about bearing fruit. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch from me that bears no fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it to be even more fruitful. Verse 4, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Verse 5, if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. But do you notice we have this progression, no fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. God wants more from us and he wants more for us. He makes that very clear here. God wants more from us and he wants more from us. More of what? More fruit. What is this fruit he is talking about? It can be the fruit of the spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. It's the character of Jesus within us. It's that we look more like Christ. And that is definitely part of this. It's the fruit of seeing people come into the kingdom. It's the fruit of seeing souls saved. It's the the fruit of seeing your neighbors and your relatives and your friends come to know Jesus Christ. That is fruit. It's the fruit of worship in our lives. The Bible talks about the fruit of an offering of worship that comes from our lips. It's the fruit of good works, doing good works in the community and for other people. I think all of those are right, but if I were to sum it up in one word, I think fruit means impact. I think fruit in your life means having an impact for God's kingdom here on earth. I think fruit in your life means looking like Jesus, doing the works of Jesus, uh, reflecting Jesus, uh, and bringing his kingdom into every area and every place and every space. That's what fruit is. Fruit is about having impact and influence for the kingdom of God wherever he has placed you. And God's desire is not that you have just a little bit of impact, but that you have more and that you have much. That you bring fruit wherever you go. That you flourish, that you thrive, and that you bring the kingdom of God into every place and space that he has placed you and the fruit in our lives is simply the overflow of Jesus because when you think about it if we are the branches and Jesus is the vine we are connected to him and all of the life flows from him and into us it's Jesus flowing through us it's all of him flowing through all of me it's the life of the Holy Spirit flowing through me to touch the lives of others that's the fruit that Jesus is talking about so how do we do that how do we live a life that bears fruit much fruit because I don't want to waste my life I'm 47 years old now if I have another 40 years left I don't want to get to 87 and look back and go what I could have would have should have done I don't want to look back with regret. I don't want to look back and go, well, I took the safe option. I don't want to look back and think, well, I I had a nice, comfortable life. I want to look back and go, I was poured out for the kingdom of God. He poured himself into me. I poured myself out and I have made a dent in the world for the kingdom of God. I don't want to just drift through life, get my pension, my bus pass and go to glory. That is not God's abundant life for you. There's nothing wrong with having a bus pass and having your day trips, folks, if they're free. Enjoy every second of them. Travel all around the place. But that is not God's ultimate purpose for you. It is that you bear fruit. Even in the Psalms, it says they will bear fruit in old age. 
Don't think I'm too old to bear fruit. Let all the young ones now bear fruit. No, God's desire is that whatever age and stage you are at, that you would be someone who bears fruit, that you would be someone who impacts the world around you for the kingdom of God. Because if you are 75 years old, you will be able to reach 75 years old much better than I will ever be able to reach 75 years old. God has positioned you and placed you to bear fruit. How do we make the most? Two things, and I'm done. First one is we remain in Jesus. We remain in Jesus. Do you notice how often Jesus uses the word remain? In, 19, or in 10 verses in John 15, 19 times he uses the word remain. Verse 4, remain in me. I remain in you. Remain in the vine. Remain in me. Verse 5, if you remain in me. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me. Verse 7, if you remain in me. And my words remain in you. Remain, 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 remain. In other words, it's the same, the same, the same, the same, the same. Our world doesn't like the same. Our, like, our world likes the novel and the new. The new iPhone, what, 14 came out there? It's identical to the 13 pretty much. But people queue up to get it because they like the new. We get new cars. How many of you get a new car that looks exactly like the last car you got? We get new clothes and they look like the old clothes we had. We get new girlfriends and they look like, no, that's a whole different... How many of you, how many of you know somebody... And you meet their girlfriend and you go, she is the spit of his last girlfriend. Is that ever, let's be honest. Yeah, yes, yeah, I see that hand. And you're like, it must just have been a personality thing because they could be twins. You know, and, and we just, we keep getting new things because we like novelty. We crave the new. And there's nothing wrong with new because God is the God of the new. You've heard me say that. God is the God. He says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. God loves the new. But sometimes the, 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 the best thing we can do is just stick with the old. And the old is this, remain in Jesus Christ. Stay planted, stay grounded, stay rooted, stay firm in Jesus Christ. Make your foundation in Jesus Christ. And don't be budged. Don't move. No matter what newfangled religion comes along, no matter new, what new wind of teaching comes along, no matter what influential book from the latest hipster pastor comes along, remain grounded and rooted firmly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And in in every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds in the veil. Because on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. We remain in Christ. And in a world of turbulence and turmoil and upheaval and upset and chaos and confusion, do you know how we get through the storm? We remain in Christ. The people who don't remain in Christ are like the people Paul talked about that are tossed about by every wind and wave of teaching. The people who remain in Christ, they will still get battered. They will still struggle. They will still suffer. They will still have losses, but they will be standing firm because they have remained in Christ. Remain, 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 remain. That's how we bear fruit in the long run. You see, anyone can bear fruit for a little bit. We all know Christians who shot to position or 
glory overnight because they were incredibly gifted and then three years later they're nowhere to be seen. I could tell you about hundreds of more talented, more gifted Christians, worship leaders, pastors than me. And they had so much potential, but they didn't remain in Christ. They got caught up in trying to be too clever, reading all these new books that seem to have a new trendy teaching, instead of remaining grounded in the word of God. Remain in Christ. Stay close to Christ. That's how fruit forms. It just stays on the branch and the life of the sap of the tree flows through the trunk and flows through the branch and you get a little bud and you get a little blossom and then you get an apple. I have never watched an apple tree go trying to push out fruit. No, it just remains in the vine. It remains in the trunk and the life and the sap and the juice and the nutrients from the trunk flow into the branch and then you get the fruit. Some of us are trying really, really hard to clean up our lives and to bear good fruit. And the secret isn't in trying harder. It's in staying in Christ. It's in remaining close to Christ. It's allowing all of him to flow through all of us. We make it so much harder than it is. I don't know why I have this random picture in my head right now. Some people, when they get... I've never had a cup of tea... I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. I'm a tea drinker. When I go to Starbucks, they say, they say, do you want me to leave the tea bag in the cup? Now, some of you are dippers. You dip and 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 you dip. Then you get the spoon and you squeeze. You know what I love about being over there? I just leave it in the cup. And I don't do anything. And all of the tea flavor goes into all of the water. The other wee picture I have, these are random pictures I have. Have you ever left a plate for too long with like a sauce on it and it's really crusty and it's hard to get off and you can, you can scrub at it? Do you know what else you can do? You can just fill your sink with hot water and detergent and just let it sit. And all the dirt comes off so much easier because it's remained. It's soaked. Some of us are scrubbing at our lives, trying to deal with stuff, and God would say, just soak it. Remain in me. Stay in me. What does that look like? Do you know what it looks like at the very minimum? Spending time with him. It's so basic and yet so few of us do it every day. There is no substitute for spending time with God every day. Back when I became a Christian, they called it a quiet time. And every day I would go into my room and I would close the door for half an hour and I would do every day with Jesus, daily notes, and I would pray. And can I say to you, there is no substitute for that. Just remaining in Jesus. It is being conscious of him as you drive in your workplace, whatever that is. Just remaining in Jesus. Eugene Peterson's translation, uh, the, the message says, make your home in him. Because other translations say, abide in Christ. You abide in your abode. Your abode is your home. Make your home in him. In other words, be more comfortable around Jesus than you are around anyone else. You know, I love traveling, but I love coming home. Make it that no matter where you are, what you're doing, you just miss Jesus. You just miss being with him. You just miss being in his 
presence. The Christian life is not a life of effort. It is a life of overflow. It is a life where you spend time abiding, remaining in Jesus, and the life of Jesus flows through you. And soon you realize that attitude I used to have isn't there anymore. And that sin I used to struggle with, I just, I don't struggle with it in the same way. And those lustful thoughts that I used to battle, I I seem to have, they're just not there as much anymore. And that anger that used to be there, I I can't remember the last time I, I got angry like that. And it's just because his word and his spirit is soaking into you and it is transforming you from the inside out. Stop focusing on the fruit. Focus on Jesus and stay connected to him. Remain in Christ. And the second thing is this, pruning. Allow him to prune. Look at verse verses 1 and 2 again. And I'm going to finish here. I am the tree vine and my father is a gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Look at that verse 2 again. Every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it will be even more fruitful. That doesn't sound fair to me. I used to think that pruning was punishment. That when God removed something from my life it was punishment. And yes, God does discipline his children at times. But that's not what it says here. He says, he says pruning is a reward. Pruning is a reward for faithfulness and fruitfulness. When we are fruitful, God looks at us and goes, there's something more in there. There's even more in there. And he gets his pruning shears out and he starts to snip and he starts to cut. Let's think about this carefully. What is pruning? I'm not going to go through that, that Wikipedia at a definition. Or, but there were two phrases in it that, that were really important. Selective removal and targeted removal. He's not like Edward Scissorhands. You know, he's not just going in and just like cutting away anything. He's, he's selective and he's targeted in what he prunes from our lives so that we will be even more healthy. And, and I'm not green-fingered in any way, as some people from this church will attest if they've seen our garden. My wife is greener fingered than me. But I can read. And there's three things I've learned about pruning. Three things that a gardener will do. Why they prune. Why does a gardener prune? And I, I looked up why they would prune a rose bush. But it's the same idea. Three things. And the first one is this. There's too many buds. The bush is producing more buds than it can sustain. And they're all alive and they're all good, but they're not the best. Therefore, pruning happens so that some good ones are cut away so that the best ones can flourish. The good ones are removed so the nutrients can go to the best ones. Let's apply that to your life and my life. We keep adding stuff. And a lot of it's good stuff. We join things, we buy things, we start things, and they're good things, otherwise we wouldn't have bought or start them. But over time, our lives just get busy, and they get jammed, and we feel overwhelmed. And we're members of 14 different things, and we're out every night of the week, and we're, we have all these friends, but we don't have any close friends, and we're, we're, we're members of loads of things, but we're not really committed to, to any of them. And it gets to the point where we're just doing too many things, we're full, we're at capacity, and we have no room for anything new, and we're exhausted. And that's where pruning comes in. And I think in this season, God is saying less is more. Less is more. And I think that applies to many of our lives. 
But I think God would say, I want you to look at the places in your life where, where I am, where I'm breathing on, where you're most effective, where you're most productive, where you can have the greatest impact for my kingdom. And I want you to start cutting out some other things that are draining your energy and your time away from those. You know, I discovered something about the best restaurants a while ago. The best restaurants don't have 87 things on the menu. It's about six things. And they do them really well. If a restaurant has about 200 things on the menu, they're not really good at any of them. The best restaurants have a very short list because they want to do it well. And I think some of us need to cut our list. Some of us have way too many things going on in our lives. Way too many people draining us. Way too many just hobbies and pastimes and different things are involved. And God is simply saying to us, less is more. I want you to ask me, what are the two, three, four things that I want you to focus on at this time? Where are the places that you're most effective? Where have I gifted you most? Where can you have the most kingdom impact? Because time is short. I've had to do this over recent years. And I have come to the conclusion that God's calling on my life is to lead and defeat. It's fairly simple. I lead his people, I steer the ship, and I preach the word. And there are lots of other things I could and probably should do, but they would take away from God's primary calling on my life. And that's why we bring other people in and we're going to, to do those other things. God's calling on me is to lead and defeat. That's where I make the biggest difference. Where do you make the biggest difference? What's the few things that God has gifted you to do that other people find really difficult? What's the thing that comes naturally to you that people go to you, how do you do that? People say that to me all the time. I could never do what you do. And I go, I could never do what you do. That's why we're a body. God has gifted you with a few things. And so pruning removes some things from your life so you can focus on the most important things. Number two, the reason a gardener prunes. There are some branches and buds that are sick and that are not going to get well. The gardener has done everything he can, she can, to make them better but they're just not getting any better. There's no improvement. And we all have some things in our lives that if we're honest, they're just not getting any better. Relationships, connections, jobs, organizations we're a part of. We've tried our best. We've poured ourselves into it. We've given our all. And nothing is changing. I discovered something a while ago that I cannot want somebody else to change more than they want to change themselves. I've been in situations where I have wanted change for somebody else more than they have wanted change for them, and it's exhausting. We keep doing the same thing and expect different results. We keep thinking if we just give it one more try, one more, one more week, one more, one more month, one more term. Instead of pruning it, instead of cutting it off, instead of ending it, we try to tweak it, to change it a little bit, and it doesn't get better. If something in your life isn't working, if you're pouring your time and your resources and you're not getting any results, 
if you're trying to help someone change more than they want to change, it might be time to think about pruning that thing from your life and putting that energy into somewhere that's going to bear fruit. I read a little thing a while ago. It said this. Day one. Day one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I fall in. Day two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. Day three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I see it as there. I still fall in. It's a habit. I get out immediately. Day four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the pavement. I walk around it. Day five. I walk down a different street. Think about that. Third reason, as I finish, why we prune. There are some buds that are already dead, but they're just taking up space. There's some buds that are already dead, but they're just taking up space. And they need to be taken out of the way so that the healthy ones can thrive. They're taking up space, they're blocking light, they're hindering the growth of those buds that are healthy. And if we are really honest, there are some things in our lives that have been dead for a long time. There are some things in our lives that just have not worked for a long time. And it's past time that we let them go. You know, Ecclesiastes 3, we know it well. There's a time for everything under, and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. A time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Do you notice what that says? It says that under heaven, God has given us seasons to, for things to die, for things to be uprooted, for things to be killed off, for things to be torn down, for things to be let go, for things to be given up, for things to be thrown away. We serve a God who can resurrect the dead, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't want some things to die. <coughs> and so there's things in our lives that we need to stop giving mouth to mouth to because they've been dead for a long time. We need to stop trying to resurrect and resuscitate some things that God has said. I don't want that in your life anymore. That might have been part of your history, but it's not part of your destiny. It's part of your past, but it is not going to be part of your future. There was a pastor called Frank Fred Craddock. And when he was a young pastor, he led a church in a small town that struggled to find new members. A new uh, industry came into the town and he wanted to attract the people to this church. And, but they were what they call in America blue-collar workers. And some of them started to come in, but the church didn't like that. And the elders kicked up stink and said, they're not our sort of people. We don't want them there. And so eventually Fred Craddock left. He says years later, he was now a distinguished preaching professor. And he came back to that same town. And when he drove up, he saw the car parked at that church that he had pastored was full. The car park was full. And when he walked inside, he saw that every seat was packed. It was a wonderful sight. It was now a bar and restaurant. The church had died years before. And he says, I thank God that it was a restaurant because if it still been not church, most of the people in the room wouldn't have been welcome. Some things just need to die. Bible says, put to death. It says, put off your old self. And here's the thing. 
that I've discovered. As I studied this text. That God didn't, Jesus didn't say God's the owner of the field or the landlord. He said he's the gardener. And you see, you can own the field but never touch the fruit. You can own the field but never touch the vine. But if you're the gardener, you're hands on. And when God is pruning us, he's never closer to us than when he's pruning us. When God is pruning us, his hands are all over us. And he is intentional and he is specific and he is only removing those things that are not necessary for the future. In fact, they may hinder you from the future he's bringing you into. Some of you have had surgery. Some of you have had things removed from your body. Surgery is painful, but it is to make you healthy. And pruning is spiritual surgery. And God only removes those things that are not compatible with the future he has for you because he wants you to be spiritually healthy so that you can bear abundant fruit in your life. And so today, maybe you're in the messy middle. Maybe you feel a bit all over the place. You're not sure who you are. You're not sure where you're going. You feel stripped back and there's been stuff removed and you feel vulnerable and a bit lost. But I just, I just want to say to you, the Father's hands are on you. He is so close to you. And he is intimately and intricately involved in your life. He's intentional. He knows what he's doing. And anything he removes, as painful as it is, it is for your health. It is for your growth. It is for your fruitfulness. And it is for his glory. So cooperate with him and you will not just bear a little fruit or more fruit, but your life will bear much fruit. And you will come to the end of your life and you will look back and you will say, thank you, God, that you removed those things that I was trying to cling on to. Because without you removing those things, I could not have lived this life that I'm living now. And so I submit and surrender to you.